March is National Sleep Awareness Month. Adequate sleep is a cornerstone of better long-term health. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand that I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences. Their natural wellness line, CBD Calm and CBD Sleep, combines well-studied ingredients offering non-habit-forming options and natural sleep and relaxation support. CBD Calm helps ease tension, soothes irritability, and contributes to a greater sense of contentment through a blend of plus CBD's award-winning full-spectrum CBD plus L-theanine and 5-HTP. CBD Sleep aids occasional sleeplessness with CBD plus melatonin, as well as soothing magnolia bark extract and relaxing lemon balm so you can get the rest you need and wake up alert and focused. Both products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. This is our weekly rundown of our health stories that we answer for you. Questions at drhoffman.net, the destination for questions. With me today is Layla Newton, our resident nutritionist. And together, if you're familiar with the format, uh, we answer your questions with Mm -hmm. significant digressions. (laughs) But, you know... Unless you complain vociferously, uh, we will occasionally digress. Yeah. we got a bunch of questions in the mailbox today. Questions at drhoffman.net is the destination for questions. Uh, before I get to the questions, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, medical interventions as you age. Oh. Medical, so, look, I mean, there's a stage where, and, you know, I went through this uh, with a relative recently where she really reached the end of the line. There was a cancer diagnosis. She was suffering from dementia. Uh, she had a intestinal obstruction, and uh, heroic surgery could be performed, but she was not likely to survive. Yeah. And so a decision was made, mm-hmm. and, you know, this was in collaboration with the people at the hospital, advisedly, uh, to put her into hospice, and with the goal of not prolonging her life but making her... Uh, more comfortable, mm-hmm. and uh, but the the question arises: uh, What do you do for people who are old but not old old? Yeah, and uh, you know, say they're over sixty five or over seventy or over seventy five, depends on what your cutoff is. How aggressive to be? To some extent, that's a matter of personal style. But uh, let me run this by you, Layla, because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this is uh, you know, I'm having uh, intubations of mortality. You know, I hit the big seven zero, and you know. Uh, certainly this is consideration when we work with patients is, you know, do you go full court press or, you know, and what about certain tests? Is there a certain age where you don't do certain tests? First of all, 70 is the new 50. Right. So okay. Well, let's point that out. Okay. And, you know, and I, you know, there may be some metrics of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, methylation clocks or things that we can use or sure. uh, performance testing to tell us that people's chronological age doesn't match their uh, yes. biological age. Right. 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 So, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. every day I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm in a form of denial. I feel like I'm in my 50s. Um, you know, oh, to be 50 again, mm-hmm. you know, but, but mm-hmm. you know, still feeling pretty good. So um, I'm going to run this by you. Uh, 
there's an article, uh, there was actually an article in the Atlantic in 2014 where a guy named Ezekiel Emanuel, he's an MD and a PhD, he was big in the Obama administration, mm-hmm. and he comes from this, this celebrated family, like, you know, there's another uh, Emanuel who is like this uh, big uh, high-end uh, publicist. Mm-hmm. Remember uh, Entourage, the, the show Entourage? I remember a show called Entourage. Yeah. I never saw it. Well, there was kind of a takeoff on, <clears throat> on his brother, who is, okay. uh, you know, another, Eman- the Emanuel brothers, the kind of powerhouse guys. And then, of course, there's the mayor of Chicago, you know, uh, what's his name, Emanuel, uh, anyway. Uh, Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel. Was so at the time. So it's, a, it's like a, yeah. a, a powerhouse bunch mm-hmm. of guys. So he, he decided to go on a medical path. Uh, he wrote in 2014 that he will refuse all medical interventions, including antibiotics and vaccinations after the age of 75. Uh, this is... Uh, now, partly, huh. <laughs> this was associated with this view that we need to begin some form of cost containment to save Medicare and Social Security. So, in effect, it kind of paves the way for the idea that, like, we should ration medical care. And the point, there is a point to this, is that we do spend about three quarters of the uh, budgetary allocation for Medicare for people in their last year or two of life. To what, yeah. to what end? It's not clear. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but enormous expenditure. So he's saying, I'm willing to take the hit. He is now 65. <laughs> okay. okay. And so somebody wrote uh, a, an op-ed in the Times of London saying basically, hey, Rum, now that you're, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Zeke, now that you're 65, uh, do you want a quick illness to decide your fate? Uh, because it would take bravery to withstand a long treatment or to alternatively take your own life. And to this query, Emmanuel replied, well, I think it's bravery to say no to interventions where the majority of people would say yes. So, uh, so, so let's, th- there's actually a nice uh, rundown of this in MedPage today because mm-hmm. the actual life expectancy of Americans is declining. Uh, partly due to COVID, but partly it was happening before COVID because, you know, Americans are still unhealthy. Obesity. Yeah. uh, Violence. Yeah. uh, uh, Overweight. Overweight. uh, Metabolic abnormalities. Deaths of despair, you know, suicide, drug deaths, alcoholism. So we're actually going backwards. Mm -hmm. So the average, the, the, Life expectancy peaked in 2014 at 78.9 years. That's for men and women on average. Wow. Um, by 2021, it, it's just over 76. So if you're 75, does that mean you're going to die in a year? And the answer is, let's look at the statistics. Well, there's some interesting things that happen when you look at the uh, actuarial life tables. Okay. Um, while the average age of death at time of birth for a man is 76... If you are alive at 74, mm-hmm. uh, your chance of dying in that year is just 3.1%. Very low. And you can expect to live another 12 years. Terrific. And that it, was then. Right? That actually, or, or is this... This is this is not no longer the Atlantic article. This is... No, yeah, this is... Page. I think the latest. Yeah, the latest. The latest. Okay. okay. So... At age 65, the chance of dying is about 1%. And you, on average, you can expect to live another 18 years. In other words, the longer you live, the longer you live. So, um, yeah. It, so it, here's an interesting fact. 
If you make it to ninety-one,、mm-hmm. on average, you'll make it to ninety-four.、Uh, the only age where a person has an approximately fifty-fifty chance of dying in that year is a hundred and eight. Oh my! So it's 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 pretty likely you'll die if you're a hundred and eight. Okay. But you you got a fifty percent chance of not dying. So I'll take that at a hundred and eight. So so so. Should I so get there? This brings、yeah. up the idea of like, should we, you know, like as an act of societal,、uh, you know, respect for societal goals, issue medical treatment at a certain age, or should we go for it and get the most advanced, aggressive medical treatment? And so, a couple of articles came out recently.、Mm-hmm. One, kind of interesting, I'll talk about it on my show is. It says that the majority of men who have prostate cancer、mm-hmm. can just do watchful waiting. There's about 13 percent of men who, by、uh, various criteria, have aggressive prostate cancer. They should be treated immediately. That's a low percentage. That's, That's low percent. very good news. Yeah. So this suggests that men might do well to. And look, it needs to be observed. We've had patients who've been on watchful waiting, and then it's gotten worse, and they've had to have treatment. But they、yeah. enjoyed a lot of years of freedom from the effects of treatment. Yeah.、Uh, that they wouldn't have ordinarily. Experienced,、yeah. and and treatment、uh, has gotten better as well. Another one is women who get routine Pap smears、yeah. forever, and there is actually studies which show that's not really necessary.、Mm. And then they looked at colonoscopy,、mm-hmm. and routine colonoscopies past a certain point don't make sense. Yeah.、Uh, so they say basically, if you're fine, you know, at seventy-five, don't keep getting colonoscopies. Right. Now, if you should show up inexplicably and you're anemic. Or if you have a change in bowel habits, yes, or go, some kind of please get checked absolutely because you don't want to give up the ghost at seventy-five, right?、Uh, with a curable condition, which where you could live on for another twenty years, you could、yeah. have an early stage、don't、of colon、it. cancer,、mm-hmm. and or alternatively, unfortunately, sometimes it's so advanced that it is、yeah. the test would only confirm that you're going to die.、Mm. But it is worth getting tested. So what this amounts to is. Kind of a a caution flag on very aggressive、uh, treatments. I mean, the other thing is and screenings it, you're mentioning and screenings and screenings. and screenings and screenings. And the other thing is statins past a certain age. There may be very little advantage to statins for people at moderate risk、it、at a certain age. It blows my mind when I see an eighty-something-year-old being prescribed a statin for the first time. They've had no. Yeah, they've had、yep. no cardiac event. They've had nothing,、mm-hmm. but a doctor sees that their cholesterol is a little high. They're in their eighties. Got to fix it. Hey, that cholesterol could be wh- why they're living into their eighties.、Yes. It could be a sign of a robust、yeah. metabolism. Yeah, you know that we, they're able to manufacture all that cholesterol exactly, and that they're able to eat as much as they want. Right, their food intake is not restricted. There, look how many people at the、yeah. age of eighty-seven. Who are frail can sit down and eat like a, a strip steak. Exactly. It, the fact that they're able to eat and assimilate all that protein、mm-hmm. uh, is maybe a good sign. It is. It should be a good sign anyway. Robust so, appetite. So, so I, I just thought、anemic. I'd throw that out there. I'm going to talk a little more about that.、Yeah. I may, you know,、uh, expand on that on my one of my shows、uh, this week or next. I, I heard it mentioned. I forget where. I think it might have even been in jest, but there. I think there's a lot of truth to it, Doctor Hoffman. The people who live the longest are the ones who who don't go to doctors, right? <laughs> For all their screenings, over yeah, yeah, and over yeah, yeah, and yeah, over yeah, yeah. and over. You know, again, pay attention.、Mm-hmm. You know, I. Yeah, I, my grandfather lived to be 101. I can't 
recall him ever going to a doctor. I think mm. he, he might have had to go to a doctor for some right. minor problems, uh, you know, especially later on. But, mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't the kind of guy who'd show for his annual checkup, like, what's my cholesterol? What's my... Right, right, you know, right, like, right, right. Yeah, you know. yeah. And we were talking about, in last week's podcast, we were talking about cholesterol, because we, we were discussing lipoprotein little a uh, a little bit. But with cholesterol and ever more lowering, less than 99 is what I said. But you said, no, even less than that, less than 50, less than 30, where our total cholesterol is 102. Wow. What's going to happen to all of our phospholipid cell membranes? Yeah. And What's going to happen to any the substrate that manufactures all of our our, our hormones? What's going to happen to our brains? That is with a cholesterol. That so is low? under debate, and uh, you know I'm going to say I'm going to keep an open mind to that because the contention of people who are anti-statin is that somehow you're going to kill your lipid membranes, you're going to deplete the brain of cholesterol, and you're going to become demented. The 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 studies are indicating that there may be a little bit of that going on, but there also may be some protective effects against dementia because some of it's vascular. And if you can protect against vascular, you know, you get, you know, there's some benefits that may match or outweigh the risk. Well, this is very interesting that you bring this up, that yeah. it may benefit vascular. However, they've also shown that statins also tend to mess with vitamin K. Sure. So again, we're talking yeah. about vascular. Yeah. So, so maybe causing a problem. So let's, let's fix it for the people who are on statins. Let's give them vitamin K. Let's give them coenzyme Q10 yes. or ubiquinol. Yeah. You know, and maybe we can then offset that. And so I, you know, there are some signals of people who are on cholesterol lowering drugs having a little bit more uh, risk of cognitive decline. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then you got to weigh that with how nice it is for inflammation. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, it's like a super aspirin. Yeah. Wow. Well, here's what I actually forgot to say last time. We were mm -hmm. talking about uh, C-reactive protein. Mm -hmm. What drug safely lowers C-reactive protein? Now, you might say aspirin. Well, aspirin's a little anti-inflammatory. What about non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs? Well, they turn out to be bad because what they do is while they're anti-inflammatory, they increase the risk of clotting. So ah. they they did a trial with Biox, which they thought was going to be really good for uh, prevention of prostate cancer in African-American men. And they mm -hmm. had to stop the trial because they were actually creating more strokes. Wow. Uh, but the drug is actually one of the most ancient drugs on the market. Mm -hmm. It dates back to the time of the Egyptians. Frankincense? Well, good, good. No, Baswala? Yeah, that, that's, that's a, that's a good guess, but because uh, it's used as as you know a fragrance in churches. Yeah, yeah. Um, colchicine, colchicine from the cro for, for gout. For gout, yeah, it's anti-inflammatory, uh -huh. and in relatively low doses, it can actually have an anti-inflammatory effect. And besides lowering uh, uric acid, may be a good thing. Wow, for you know as Doctor. Perlmutter points yes, out. Yes, at IHS yeah. a few weeks ago. So right, colchicine. He also, uh, some Japanese researchers are looking at allopurinol, which is a gout drug, as a cardiovascular drug. So it may be that that works on that pathway, on the inflammatory pathway. Wow. The uric acid pathway. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so coming back, to, I was forgetting the original thing, medical interventions as we age, yeah. as we get older. It depends on how... 
I it mean, depends on also where you're coming from. Where you're coming uh, from, wh what, what is kinda, the state of your health? Do you want to continue to and, live in that current state of health and, or, and I think or not? There's a tendency, and I, I actually hear some horror stories sometimes from families you know, who, de who describe the death of a relative, and mm -hmm. it, it's almost like they treat the relative like a potted plant, yeah. you know, and it's against the wish of the, of the relative, who by that point is so far gone they can't express their wishes, mm -hmm. but the family, the family wants to do everything, and they have a naive understanding of the uh, efficacy of medical interventions at end of life, mm -hmm. and the doctors kind of throw up their hands, and the doctors can't say, look, we're going to let your you're going to let your relative die. I don't care what you say. Doctors can't really do that. They'll say, well, you know, okay. I mean, you want to go full court press? Uh, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. And they accede to the to the, to the wishes of the family when it might uh, cause a you know an uncomfortable death. It's, it's interesting how this has turned around because just a few decades ago it was more. The doctors were gods and superheroes and going to save the patient mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. It was hard to get a DNR mm -hmm. or something, a do not resuscitate. Or the family members were saying, no, that's, they didn't, they don't want to be, it's, they don't want artificial nutrition and hydration stop, it's, but it's, we have to. It's all changed. It's all changed. It's all changed. And part of it is like, you know, unfortunately it's cost cutting and rationing. I would not like to see what a situation. What they were calling the death panels. Yes. We don't right? want that either. No. No. You know, we don't want the government to say, "Hey, look, you're you're like your life is worthless now." You know, you you're of no you, use. We're, so yeah, we're you, we're going to prioritize that forty-five-year-old in the intensive care unit, and you are you know expendable. Yeah, we don't want that. No. So this is an that ethical dilemma, and yeah. it's it's not just a medical dilemma; it's an ethical dilemma. Mm -hmm. You know, how far do we go? What do we do with our limited resources? You know, uh, do we do we do a liver transplant on you know, a person past a certain age. Mm. Well, you know, maybe if they're David Crosby, you know, and <laughs> who just passed away, he, right. had a, he had a liver transplant. Yeah. Um, and uh, he lived a long time with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was, a, you know, creative artist who had a lot to, to uh, contribute. Mm -hmm. And so that uh, extra lifespan was very meaningful. Right, right. I think it was uh, John... John for people who you know need a reference, David Crosby, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I was just going to bring up uh, John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. He got a liver transplant way back when, but mm -hmm. he he had cirrhosis due to alcohol sure. use. So it was a big ethical question: Why should this raging alcoholic, yeah. because he destroyed his liver, yeah. get a new liver ahead of the guy? Who had hepatitis and needs a new liver or something? Who had hepatitis you know? due to a, a blood transfusion, exactly. not a not a, a mad lifestyle exactly, choice. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Not a deliberate or self-inflicted. Right. Okay. Well, so, we can. Know. That's the realm of medical ethics, which is a very murky realm. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to questions. Uh, We've got an email from Marianne. Hi, Doctor Hoffman and Layla. Uh, I have read that taking thirteen hundred milligrams of evening primrose oil for menopause may be beneficial because it helps in forming progesterone. So when I looked at the Mayo Clinic information, it said it had a lot of interactions and if used, should only be taken short term. Oh my. What are your thoughts on oh this? Oh my. I'm concerned with sleep, anxiety, and skin aging. I, just people are just dropping dead from primrose from oil. From primrose oil. <laughs> I mean, I just... If the, wait, 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 wait. There is a warning on if you're taking any blood thinners yeah. to be careful with it's something like that. It's a little bit of a blood thinner. Right, right. But apparently, gamma-linolenic acid, which GLA. is... GLA. GLA, in the evening primrose oil, is 
a building block for female hormones like progesterone. It's also great for skin. And if it's helping with any progesterone maintenance, but we're talking about menopause now, so I don't know how much that would apply. Progesterone is the chill-out hormone, right? Does so, it really produce uh, progesterone? Is that it's the way a building it works? block? It only is a building block. Okay, a lot of evening primrose. I'm oil, thinking GLA that it is. also works on the prostaglandin uh, yeah. system, which is there are good prostaglandins and there, and there are, are inflammatory prostaglandins, yeah. and it seems to direct the synthesis the synthesis pathway towards the more beneficial prostaglandins. Mm-hmm as opposed to the pro-inflammatory. So hence, it uh, was recommended a lot by David Horobin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like 30 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, as a treatment for PMS. Right. And we use it a lot for PMS. Yeah. And But in a preferred form of borage oil yeah. or, or black currant seed oil, it's a more concentrated source of GLA. Yeah. Uh, Marianne is interested in for menopause. Okay. Yeah. Will it help that? Well, certain symptoms of menopause S- are... Sleep anxiety and skin aging are her... Yeah, there's some mood effects to it. Um, you know, I think it should be balanced with some omega three. I think omega three is still important, especially when it may come to mood as well. Um, you know, other natural sources of progesterone. What was it? Sweet potatoes or yams? Was it pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds? I forget which. Uh, things like that. You get small amounts. Our bodies don't completely shut down making it, but we still make small amounts or the metabolites of the progesterone may be coming from adrenals, things like that. It doesn't completely go away, but there is far less of it, far less of it in menopause. And, and Horvin also wrote about uh, primrose oil for multiple, scler- multiple sclerosis. MS. MS. Yeah. Uh, this is in the 70s. I remember mm-hmm. when I was beginning in this field. Uh, he uh, you know, also talked about central fatty acids and prostaglandins in mental health. Yeah. So he yeah. passed away in 2003. Mm-hmm. But okay. anyway, so, you know, I, I think that there is something to be said for GLA. You know, we tend yeah. to focus on EPA and DHA. Right. Uh, GLA at, is great for skin. Yes. She's concerned it's about skin. skin moisturizer. I think right. it's a really good thing. Right. For sleep and anxiety, eczema, eczema too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sleep and anxiety, I'm not sure. Yeah. Evening primrose oil. Uh, you may want to look at, you know, another thing that happens in menopause. I could talk about this now. I'm 59. Uh, is that we're no longer awash in progesterone, so you may find yourself a little bit more sensitive to caffeine. It may be interfering with your sleep. Maybe kind of cut back on the high test coffee. Or the, or the really dark teas or anything else, or the chocolate, which causes, which has a little bit of caffeine, mm-hmm. it may be impacting you that way. And we're, when we're no longer awash in progesterone, I think that is why they say that uh, women of a certain age tend to be more anxious. Here's a little bit of a, this yeah. is a bit of a brouhaha uh, upon the death of, uh, of um, uh, David Horobin. Mm-hmm. who I thought was a legit guy. So uh, the British Medical Journal uh, wrote a vitriolic attack instead of a nice obituary on him, calling him a rotter, a snake oil salesman, a chancer. Wow. And 
it was expected to be a laudatory uh, precis of a life of achievement, a straightforward assessment of the career of a distinguished pharmaceutical expert. Uh, he, it says, Horbin's research ethics are described as considerably dubious, uh, blah, blah, blah. And th My so goodness. what they say, this is The Guardian, which is a big sort of New York Times of, of uh, England. Uh, they say, these views, unprecedented for a journal regarded as the mouthpiece of the medical establishment, have provoked a storm of outrage. Uh, the BMJ has been inundated with angry letters, as it should. Wow. Uh, council members of the British Medical Association, uh, who published the BMJ, have logged complaints. While Horbin's family have asked the Press Complaints Commission to condemn the obituary. Um, you know, this is what happens when you're a pioneer. Wow. Even, you know, even unto death, they revile you. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's really something. Well, Marianne, thank you, thank you for your question. That's really interesting. But yeah, of the two GLA sources, uh, borage oil is nice, eating primrose oil, but borage oil, terrific. Mm -hmm. Especially for skin and things like that. Yep. So, all right. We have, let's see, we have a question here from Ben. Hi, Dr. Hoffman and Layla. Thanks for all the great health information you share with us. I've been listening for many years. Based on some recent podcasts, I've started drinking organic, fresh-pressed tart cherry juice for uric acid control, and organic, fresh-pressed pomegranate juice for mitochondrial support. About 10 ounces daily of each. That's 20 ounces of juice. Mm -hmm. But I just looked at the sugar content of both juices. I was concerned about the amount of sugar in each. The pomegranate has 34 grams of sugar for just 8 ounces. The cherry has 25 grams. I avoided sugar in all the other fruit juices and sodas up to this point for 57 yeah. years. Yeah. Good for you, Ben. My question is, do the health benefits of these two drinks outweigh the negative the negatives of the high sugar. Should I stop drinking both? Well, his, sugar scares me. Here's the mistake is that he's drinking the juice. And, you know, since tart cherry is tart, uh, it's often sweetened with natural sweeteners. Yeah. Like apple juice. Mm -hmm. And so I organic, use tart fresh cherry. Pressed, yeah. I, I use the organic, mm -hmm. but I use the concentrate, the super concentrate. And I just use like a little dollop, like maybe, uh, you know, a an eighth of a cup. Mm -hmm. In which is maybe an ounce or two, uh, with some seltzer or with some plain water. Make a nice and, spritzer out of it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And I drink a lot of that because I think that there's some real antioxidant benefits. There's proanthocyanidins in it. And there's also evidence that tart cherry alleviates uh, DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle pain. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Good for exercise recovery, too, right. tart cherry. It, it's actually used by and athletes for, for that reason. for gout as well, I think, tart Yes, cherry, for right? gout as well. When it comes to pomegranate, uh, you know, I wouldn't drink the juice, maybe get a concentrate, but I use a pomegranate pro product called uh, MitoPure, mm. uh, which is a powder, mm -hmm. and it can be added to a drink. It's no calories, and it's got uh, nice. urolithin A, which is really an interesting compound that has maybe mitochondrial support Benefits. He's taking the fresh pressed pomegranate juice for the mitochondrial support. Well, no, he should be taking yeah. more expensive. Exactly. And when you get all that sugar, you're not supporting your mitochondria. <laughs> right. So, so he should take, if he yeah. wants, go to Timeline, mm -hmm. uh, which is the outfit that makes the, the MitoPure, Mito mm -hmm. Urolithin A, 
and get it in one form or another that you like. It comes yeah. in protein powder. It comes in little sachets that you can add to a drink or a dessert mm-hmm. or to you know your yogurt or your coconut yogurt yeah. and um, or your or your smoothie. Right. And I take that, but there's no calories. There you go. There's no calories. So you'd be better off that way, Ben, taking the supplements and just reserve the juice for when you want an occasion to have some juice. Or, or use it to flavor your water. Use it to flavor your water. Yeah. 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 Very good. Okay. Ben, thank you for that. But the concentrates give you more of the the essence without That's the true. added sugar. Get exactly. the concentrates. They're expensive. It's like You'd have to drink 500 bottles of red wine to get how much resveratrol? Right. You'd be dead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or it was the equivalent in the in the mouse study that it was that much resveratrol. Right. Take the supplement. Hello. Take yeah. the supplement. Yeah. yeah. Good point at which to pause because we do indeed divide our podcast into two parts. And so give us a preview of what we're going to tackle in part two. What's the best NAD supplement? All right. We'll tackle that when we return. I'm Dr. Robert Hoffman today with Layla Mutin because it's our weekly Q&A with Layla. You can send your questions to questions at drhoffman.net and we'll tackle part two in just a moment.